This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and we've been here for many, many years. I'm in my 30th year of radio and my 40th year of working as a sport, as a sports psychologist and look forward to doing this show. Actually, 41st year. Sorry, 41st year of work as a sports psychologist doing this show every week and love to do it. Our shows are podcasted on my website, winnersunlimited.com, as well as on all the major podcasting apps. And I do this show each week to talk about the mental side of sports, one of the first uh, sports psychology shows in the country and really maybe the only one that's on every week. And the topic in this show every week is a different one because I bring up different things that I think we'll all relate to, we can all talk about. Our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country in a number of cities the following weekend when we do, after we did the show live here in Kansas City. Kansas City. And if you are a football fan, you know what goes on in the city. The city is on fire again. The Chiefs are... Uh, Back in first place in the AFC West, and maybe maybe one of the most exciting games I've seen in a long time was the uh, Chiefs Chargers game the other day. And two great coaches, two great teams, two great quarterbacks, a lot of back and forth, and a lot of strategy. And coaching, coaching plays a big role in everything that goes on. And we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, it is. Blake Schneider's birthday today, my producer, engineer, who's been with me for several years now. He is just about 40 years younger than me. He's turning 27 today. I'll be 67 in a little more than a week. So I want to wish Blake a happy, happy birthday. He does a tremendous job, maybe one of the best producers I've ever had. And happy birthday, my friend. It's early in the morning, so you can start celebrating now. Oh, well, I appreciate it, Dr. Jacobs. It's a, it's an honor to have you give me a birthday shout out over the airwaves. So it's been a pleasure. I believe it's, I believe it's two years now that we've been, that we've been working together and it's been fantastic. And, uh, you're the only show I have to work today. And yet I still got up on a Sunday just to come see your beautiful face. You and me both, buddy. You and me <laughs> both. We get up for the show's broadcast early here in Kansas City, but we're live on the air in Kansas City this morning. And, I'd like to know just after, you know, now that everybody knows it's your birthday, how many girls contact you for potential dates? Just let me know what goes on about that in the future, okay? I definitely will. I am, a, you know me, I am a taken man. I'm a one, I'm a one woman man right now, but, uh, you never know. There, there could be some suitors that I got to swat them away like with my fly swatter, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, as always, for everything you do. And you do a great job here. And, and happy, happy birthday. So the topic today that I want to get into is coaching. Why? Well, this past week, Urban Meyer was fired as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And quite frankly, I'm surprised it took this long. When you talk about coaching, a coach has to be a psychologist. A coach has to be a good psychologist. A coach has to be an effective psychologist. A coach wears many hats. You're a guide. You're a mentor. You're a friend. You're a disciplinarian. You're an instructor. But you also have to have, I think, a demeanor about yourself with your behavior. Because if your behavior does not show respect to the players you're coaching, you're not going to get that respect back. And Urban Meyer this past year showed in his first year as the coach of Jacksonville Jaguars several scenarios where, quite frankly, he didn't show a lot of respect. One was after they lost in Cincinnati when there were pictures of him at a, at a restaurant nightclub with a young woman dancing in front of him. He's been accused of being verbally demeaning to players. Not that coaches don't do that, but also just recently was apparently accused of kicking their former place kicker. And I think this just got to the point where the owner of the Jaguars had had enough. Now, here in Kansas City, I, I can't fathom seeing Andy Reid doing something like that. I could not fathom seeing Marty Schottenheimer doing something like that or Hank Stram doing something like that. Three of the great coaches the Chiefs have had over the years. Um, you hear about coaches being tough. You hear about coaches being challenging. That's their job. A coach's job is is, is obviously at the professional level to get their team to win. It's about the result. It's about the score. But how do you get there? How do you get players to play for you? How do you get players to, to play and give their all? And it's different in the pros than it is in college. When you're at the collegiate level, you're dealing with a wide array of mindsets. The mindset of players at the professional level is, is different for many as well. But at the same time, collectively, they're all the best at what they do. I've been fortunate enough to work with athletes in, in actually every sport, every major sport, all of the five, if you say football, baseball, hockey, basketball, and soccer, professional athletes in all of them. I've talked to coaches in all of them. And there is a toughness that I see in coaches at that level, male and female, that needs to be there. But there are also is a, is a, a, a skill and I say skill, that I think a lot of coaches have that allows them to succeed. And they're good communicators. But what does it take to be a good communicator? Most importantly to me, it means being a good listener. And I've said this on this show forever. A good coach checks his or her ego at the door. It is not about the coach's ego. It's about the players. When a coach's ego becomes bigger than the team... Not with, it's with, with the media, but with the coach. You've got a problem. And you see it displayed by lots of coaches. And, you know, look, we, do, we don't know what went on behind the Jaguars' doors in their locker room in the training facility. 
We don't know how Urban Meyer dealt with his assistant coaches, how he treated the players. We've heard isolated incidents. But obviously enough was going on that resulted in him losing his job. And he has a history of things like this. So it's not surprising from one perspective. But when you coach at the professional level, you're not coaching the same types of egos that you were at the collegiate level. At the collegiate level, it's different. The mindsets there are overall not as mature. When you're in the professional level, you can be coaching guys who are 21 years old all the way up into their late, th- well, Tom Brady's, what, 42, okay? So you could have a 20-year difference in ages. So you have to be able to delegate to your assistant coaches. You have to be able to work with them effectively and help them guide you. So I'd like to open up our phone lines today and get your thoughts on, if you're a coach, what do you feel effective characteristics are to be a successful coach? And what do you feel some of the negative derogatory qualities that you could have are? If you're an athlete and you've had a coach that you have admired, and I've had many, many, many coaches on this show over the years, what are the qualities of a great coach? What are the qualities of a coach you you admire? And if you are a coach, tell me what you think the best qualities you need to have are to coach athletes. I'd love to hear from you if you're a coach, you're an athlete, or if you're a parent, you're an official. What are the qualities of a coach that allow them to succeed? What are the qualities of a coach that don't? Give me a call and let's talk. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Thank you, Blake. The birthday boy, Blake Snyder, is my producer here with me this morning, as always. Happy birthday again, Blake. I'm, you know, I really do appreciate what you do because you do a great job here. And this show is about sports psychology. It's about mindsets, but it's about people. And you're a good man, and I enjoy having you help, help me put this show on. And today's topic is this, coaching. In light of Urban Meyer losing his job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd like to find out from you what you feel the qualities of a good coach are. If you are a coach and you've coached for a long time, what do you think they are? What are some qualities that have allowed you to succeed? If you have been around coaches who have not been very good people, people, what do you think some of those qualities are? Our phone number is 913-3810-810. I've had the privilege throughout my 41 years of work to be around some tremendous coaches and around some coaches, quite frankly, who weren't very good. Um, The ones that I felt were good did not care about their egos. And the ones that I felt were not very good, quite frankly, cared more about how they came across to people and the control they needed to have than I think the player dealing with the players. My very first job in sports psychology was the University of Kansas with the track teams. I was hired in December of 1981 by Bob Timmons and Carla Coffey, the men's and women's track coaches. Bob Timmons is one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. He coached in high school down in Wichita. He was Jim Ryan's coach. If you don't know who Jim Ryan is, he's one of the greatest runners ever run. First high schooler to break the four-minute mile, an Olympian. 
And Coach Timmons coached dozens of NCAA champions. He was a man who cared deeply about the athletes as people. One of the reasons he took a chance by hiring me, one of the very first sports psychology jobs in the country that I participated in. And was a man who took the time to understand what his athletes needed. Now, everybody didn't always agree with him, didn't always get along with what he said, but they respected him because he was honest with them. Honesty and integrity. You know, if he disagreed with something, he wasn't afraid to say it. We had a very prominent athlete, actually a, a world-class competitor, who was on the team, also on the basketball team, who had an ego that was pretty big. And there was a scenario where Coach Timmons had to kick him off the team. No, this was this was a world class competitor, but he had to get he had to kick him off the team because of the way he was acting. That took some guts, but it also took a value system. I think good coaches have good value systems. They have a way that they deal with athletes, and so much of it's about communication, as I said. Like, open up our phone lines. I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, I'd love to hear from you what you feel good qualities of a coach are. If you're a parent, what do you look for in the qualities of a coach? And if you're an athlete and you've had a coach you've admired, I'd love for you to share a story about it. If you've had a coach you didn't like so well, why? I've been around some coaches, professional coaches, quite frankly, who I didn't have a lot of respect for because they were not honest people and didn't treat the athletes that way. Of course, then I wasn't around because they didn't want to deal with me because a lot of times I'd be confrontational about what they're doing and they didn't like it. I think, you know, a coach wears so many hats and the key to being a successful one, in addition to the knowledge of the sport they're coaching, is being a good psychologist. Being able to work with your athletes, be able to talk with them, understand them. You know, in light of the whole COVID crisis our country's been, or the world's been going under for the last couple of years now, hard to, hard to believe we're almost into two years of this. I've talked several times on this show about having a practice where you don't practice, but you talk. And you have a, an open forum for your athletes to sit down one day and maybe meet in a big group or small groups, depending on how big your team is, and talk about feelings, talk about what everybody's doing, talk about the stress you're handling or not handling in light of the crisis we're dealing with. And as the COVID cases are rising once again, I think the ability of a coach to be honest and open with their players about everything is, is more important maybe now than ever. If you're a coach, you're an athlete, you're a fan, you're a parent, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. In light of Urban Meyer losing his job with Jacksonville, it, I think, exposes a lot of the qualities of a coach that are not very good. You know, for years, I worked with Nick Lowry, the former place kicker, who, when he retired, was the most accurate kicker in football, and I kicked more field goals than anybody in football, and, and co-hosted this show a number of years. He would often talk to me about Marty Schottenheimer, the late Marty Schottenheimer, 
how Marty was a tough guy, but was an emotional guy and an honest guy. And Nick Nick would say, if Marty had a problem with the, with a player, he would take him into his office and privately discuss it with him. He wouldn't degrade players in in, in front of the other t- players or in front of the public. Al Saunders, who's a friend of the show, great, one of the best people I've ever met, former NFL coach over 40 years of experience, has been on this show with me many times, would talk about this all the time because he worked with both Marty and Dick Vermeil. Al's a Super Bowl champion with the Rams. Coached for so many years with so many great athletes. And Al, Al always talked about getting to know your athletes as people. Getting to understand what makes them tick what their fears are, what they're scared of, what motivates them. And he felt that that was one of the qualities that Dick Vermeil had that made him so successful, and quite frankly, I thought Al had that made him successful. So I think those are qualities that you want to look for. And here's the other thing, honesty and integrity. Honesty and integrity. In a relationship, in a work relationship, in a marital relationship, a dating relationship, a teaching relationship, you want honesty and integrity from your guide, from the person you're working with. And these are qualities that I think great coaches have. Now, that doesn't mean a great coach isn't going to lose his or her temper, isn't going to get angry. You know, Bill Self is one of the best college basketball coaches who's ever been around. I've never met him. I've admired him greatly from afar. And you hear all the time, you know, a player who leaves KU, and not many leave, but when you hear about a player that leaves KU to go play somewhere else, I, to my knowledge, I've never heard any, co- any any player talk negatively about Coach Self. They've left because they want to go play because they weren't good enough to play there. They want an opportunity to go somewhere else. But but I've never I've never personally heard anybody. Talk negatively about him. Now, Coach Self is pretty darn hard on his players in practice. I know that for a fact. But I also know after practice, he will talk with them and share with them, the assistant coaches will as well, about how they feel about things. That's one of the reasons he's been at KU for so long and has been so successful for so long. What are the qualities of, the qualities of a great coach? What are some of the qualities that lead to poor coaching? I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. 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 I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Thanks for joining us this morning and listening throughout the country on our podcast and as our shows are replayed in numerous cities. You know, I love doing this show because we talk about pressure. We talk about mindsets. We talk about attitudes. And I get phone calls, emails throughout the week from a lot of people who listen to this show. And one of the things that I hear from them is why it helps them. Because we talk about issues in sports that many people don't want to deal with and don't talk about. In light of Urban Meyer being fired this past week... I thought a good topic to talk about would be what are qualities of a great coach? Obviously, he won at the collegiate level, but he also failed. And as a professional coach, he did not do very well. Their team only won two games. And more importantly to me, 
you just heard a lot of negative things about how players felt he talked, dealt with them, treated them. And throughout my 41 years of work, I've, as I said, I've been around some great coaches, some coaches that weren't so great. I've been around some coaches who had personal issues, didn't want to deal with them. Been around some coaches who had issues and did want to deal with them. Communication is so much a key to success and failure in sports in terms of the leadership a coach displays, the toughness a coach displays, but the humanity a coach displays. And I'd love to hear from you if you would like to share a story about a coach you've had who was a great coach or a coach maybe that wasn't so good. What are some of the qualities you'd like to share with them that you feel about he or she that allowed them to be successful or not successful. Now, Blake, you played football all the way into college. You obviously were around a lot of different coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches in high school and college. From your perspective, what were qualities of a coach that you admired and what were qualities of a coach that you didn't? I think one of the biggest qualities I always admired was somebody who just was genuine you know, one of my favorite coaches that I ever had, his name was Coach, his, his name was Coach Will Healy. Um, he did coach for Richmond, and then he coached for um, Chattanooga. Richmond, uh, you're talking about colleges. Yes, okay. yes. And then he coached for Austin P. and then I believe he went on to coach for South Carolina A&T or something. Not A&T, but um, A&M. And the biggest thing to me is that he was honest right up front, but he he truly gave the impression that he cared about the starting quarterback all the way down to the backup kicker. You know, it was it was a there was nobody that was treated differently on the team based on your position, based on your skill level, based on how funny, you know, it was it was completely from top to bottom same treatment for every single player. And he also had an open-door policy. You could always come talk to him about anything. He was huge on communication. He was a big believer in, in, in Christ. He was a, um, you know, he, he kind of used um, re- his religious background as something to bring everybody together. And not that that was necessarily a prerequisite, but I think it just kind of lended to him uh, being an understanding coach and wanting to talk to everybody across the board, but also being very honest with you. You know, he wasn't going to, beat around the bush. He wasn't going to um, tell you something that he himself didn't truly believe just to make you feel better. Um, But it was always out of uh, trying to make you a better player, regardless of position, regardless of talent. I had the privilege of being one of the first sports psychologists with Major League Baseball team in 1990 with the Kansas City Royals. And the manager was John Wathen, uh, who I admired immensely. He gave me an opportunity to work with the team. He didn't, you know, he could have said no. Um, and Duke, as as we all called him, because he imitated John Wayne almost perfectly, um, played for the Royals throughout his whole career. And he was a multi-talented player. He was primarily a catcher, but played other positions. But he also didn't start a lot of the time. And so when he became the manager, I think he understood what it was like to be in a reserve role and not play, what it was like to be in a starter's role. I mean, one of his closest friends is George Brett, the great who I have shared many times in this show, admire immensely. Um, got to know George that quite well that year and won his third batting title that year. Um, Hall of Famer. But John Watton didn't treat the reserve guys any different than he did George in terms of how he communicated with them and things like that. 
And he encouraged me uh, to get all the players to come talk to him. You know, one of the things that I did with the players was communicate and share things. And I had several players that throughout that season were frustrated in their roles. They didn't think they were being, you know, handled right. And I encouraged a lot of them to, to talk with him. In fact, the first one that that, that happened with uh, was interesting because it was a veteran player who hadn't played much. It was the second week of the season, second week of the season, and we went on the road to a city where this guy used to play. So when we got there, we went out to lunch. We flew in that morning, went to lunch, and we talked about. It. I said, "You need to talk to him." He's like, "Doc." He goes. One thing you got to understand, you know, major league players don't go in and complain to the manager. I said, I'm not talking about complaining. I'm saying going in and trying to understand what's going on, why you haven't played, what the deal is. That's not complaining. That's that's communicating. And so I'll never forget this. It, we got to the uh, stadium, went down to the field. It was our fir- first road trip. I was all excited because it was the first road trip I went on uh, it, with the major league team. And we're standing down there, and John walked by, and I said, here's your chance. So he went down, and he said to me, if this doesn't work, Doc, he goes, I'm, I'm probably not going to trust you anymore. I said, I get it, and if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll handle that. Well, they went down and talked for a good 15 minutes, and I looked at the lineup card that John had posted on the wall, and this guy was in the starting lineup, just coincidentally. Well, they had a pretty animated talk for about 10 minutes. He walked by, gave me a high five, said, I'm playing, thanks. And John, I mean, I'll never forget this, points at me, moves his finger, says, come down, sit down here. I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. And I walked down, and he stuck his hand, and he goes, thanks. Now get everybody else to talk to me. He goes, I know what it's like to not want to talk to a manager when you played with Dick Hauser was the manager here, for, amongst others. But he said, you've got to be able to communicate. They've got to be able to communicate with me, and they can't be threatened by me. And so... I think a good a good coach, good manager, is a is a good psychologist and a good leader, but a good communicator, but a good listener. So, when you had a coach who was a good listener, what qualities stood out about that that maybe cha- made them different from maybe coaches you didn't? Well, and and so to kind of counteract what I said earlier, on the flip side, I've had the exact opposite. I've had coaches that did not if you weren't you know, one of their main guys, they didn't care to talk to you. It just seemed like they didn't care about your being on the team. They didn't care about the team. Like, you know, when you, when you only care about a handful of guys, you don't care about the team. You, you, you're there for the the top guys that are going to make you look good as a coach. And I think that that was detrimental because the good coaches I've had and, and shout out to, again, I'm talking about coach Will Healy and I've had many others. He's just the, you know, the last one I played for, he made you feel that you were important on the team. And and I know there's probably people out there saying, um, oh, you know, well, you, you felt like you need to be important to play on the team. Well, yeah, you do. You you feel like you want to belong somewhere. And if you're not getting the feeling that you, you belong, it's hard to play somewhere where you feel unwanted. I think that's where, you know, like I said earlier, a good coach is a good communicator and a good listener, but is also a good guide. And I think what a good coach does is explains to everybody what their role is and shares with them their expectations, shares with them why there are things that that may not be working for them and what they need to do to get better. It doesn't mean they're going to play, but these are the things you got to work on. I know 
when I worked with the Royals the second time from 2008 to 2011 or 12, that we had a reserve catcher that got sent down to the minors. And he was told why he was being sent down, and he was all upset about it. But I said, look, you know, they're being honest with you. you got to work on this quality. And he worked on it came back up and, and was in the majors for quite a while after that. But it was because they were honest with him. Trey Holm, the manager, was honest with him. And that's, that's the way it is. Okay, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is Sports Psychology Hour. Talking about qualities of coaches. Love to hear from you. Get your thoughts. What are the qualities of a good coach or a bad coach? In light of Urban Meyer losing his job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, what do you think the great qualities of coaches are that you've had in your past? Give me a call and let's talk. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 10 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. Our shows, as I said, are rebroadcast throughout the country in a number of cities. And there are podcasts everywhere. You can find them on my website, winnersunlimited.com. Click on the podcast button and you'll be able to go to, I think we've got close to nine years of podcasts on there now. And all kinds of topics on there. And today's topic I've been talking about, Blake and I have been discussing the whole issue of coaching, effective coaching. In light of Urban Meyer losing his job with the Jacksonville Jaguars this week, I think that says a lot to a lot of people in terms of, you know, what what are the qualities of a coach that you want to have? There's been a lot written about the things that he's done in terms of his treatment of players and some of the things that he said in a derogatory way. And, you know, let's face it, he obviously has coached very successfully at the collegiate level, so there are things that he did there that worked, but don't necessarily work at the professional level. You're dealing with a different mindset when you get to the pros than from college. I mean, you're still coaching football, and obviously he knows how to coach football, but you've got to coach people as much as you need to coach the sport. And that's why I've said forever, a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. I think very strongly that successful coaches, more than anything else, are good communicators. And they're able to share what they think, what they feel, what they want with their athletes. And I think it's really important if you're a coach to take the time to, I think, understand what your goals are. What are you, what, why are you coaching? You know, what are the, what are the reasons that you're there? What do you want to accomplish? Obviously everybody coaches wants to win. That's, you know, I don't think there's any coach at any level that says, Oh, I just want to coach and I don't care if we win or lose. I mean, and you know, I've talked about on this show forever Winning and losing to me is not as important at the young level as it should be more so about the experience, about having fun, learning fundamentals, things like that. I think that's that's the key thing at the youth level. And I think good coaches at the youth level take the time to understand their athletes, try to help them. My oldest, you know, I watched both my sons who are now 32 and 30 throughout their athletic careers when they were younger. I've shared many times about the coaches they had. My youngest son, Gregory, swam until a senior in college. 
And he was coached by Pete Malone, head coach of Kansas City Blazers, who's in the USA Swimming Hall of Fame. And Pete coached a number of Olympians, five gold medalists, and he was tough on kids. There were a lot of kids that didn't like the way he coached, but he was very straightforward with them. He was a good communicator. You know, oftentimes some people didn't agree with him, but he, he was very straightforward. And he took the time to explain himself. He would have preseason meetings where he would, and the parents would complain about how long the meetings went, but he sat there and, and talked about everything. He let people know where he was, and he, he had an open door to parents and athletes if they had an issue with him. Now, of course, a lot of people didn't want to go talk about things that bothered him because they were scared to go talk with him. But when they did, they found out he cared deeply about them and would do anything for him. Jeff Montgomery, who is in the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame, and both of them are co-authors of my book, our book, Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes to Youth Sports, quotes my older son, Jonathan. And these are the two reasons I had them co-write the book with me. One of these, Jeff, and Jeff's, Jeff's in the Royals Hall of Fame. So Pete's in the USA Swimming Hall of Fame. So they, they know how to coach. They know how to play, but they know how to coach. And, and one of the things Jeff did, and I saw him do this with many, many of the kids on the team, he would explain to them what they didn't do something right, what they were doing wrong, and they would work on it in practice. He didn't criticize them, didn't degrade them in games. We had one young man, on I remember vividly on the team, young young man who had some issues. And probably the best athlete on the team, but he had a temper problem. And one time he was pitching, and he walked a guy, and he took off his glove and threw it down on the ground. Jeff called time, went out to the mound, talked with him, and basically said, look, you can't do that. If you do it again, you're going to have to come out of the game. Well, if, I think it was the next inning he did it again. Jeff went out, took him out of the game. But he didn't yell at him, criticize him, cut him down. He says, we'll talk after the game. And he sat down with the parents of this young man after the game and had a long, long discussion with him. And the parents understood because this young man had some issues. But he communicated. He shared things. And, and to me, that's if you're a good coach, you take the time to understand what makes your athletes tick and talk, what makes them go, what, what turns them on, turns them off, what stresses them out. And you'll play to their strengths. You'll get them, work with them to their strengths and help them out. You know, here in Kansas City, the Chiefs obviously are playing well now. Earlier on this season, they weren't. You know, I work with some Chiefs players privately. I don't work with Patrick Mahomes. Never met him. But he was getting a lot of criticism earlier in the year from a lot of people. You didn't hear Andy Reid criticize him. You heard Andy Reid, and I've never met Andy Reid either, nor talked with him. But you heard him say, look, there's some things we've got to work on. He knows that I know it. We're going to get better. And as a head coach, I've got to do a better job. So what he did is he deflected the criticism onto himself. and says, you know, I'm in charge. I've got to do a better job. If we're not winning, then it starts with me. I think effective coaches... Good coaches take that responsibility. They take the pressure off their athletes and try to put it on themselves. They don't blame athletes. They don't criticize them. They don't insult them. I mean, let's face it. If you strike out with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning, everybody knows. If you throw an interception that gets run back for a touchdown, everybody sees it. If you miss a free throw when you're down by one point when time's expiring, you could have tied the game. Everybody knows that, too. 
But how you handle that behind the scenes is what really makes a coach successful. And I feel that, as I've shared throughout this show today, one of the things that I've noticed in light of Urban Meyer's firing, and of course, we're not there. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We only hear what we hear publicly. But we're hearing a lot of negative stuff. I'm sure there was a lot of positive stuff that went on. There had to be. Or he wouldn't have been hired. He wouldn't have lasted more than a couple weeks. But when you have all this negative stuff come out, it takes its toll and it wears you down. And, it, you know, one of the th- most difficult, you know, I've talked about this with many people. Social media has such so many great aspects to it. But there's so many negative aspects, too. And one of the things about social media is if you're an athlete, pretty much you don't have any secrets because there's always somebody saying something about you somewhere. And if you are performing on TV or in public, somebody could be recording it, watching it. And if you screw up, boy, you're going to hear about it. That's why I always encourage a lot of the professional athletes I work with to limit their social media presence. Let somebody else handle it. Don't be on there tweeting and texting all the time. Because as soon as you screw up, boy, you're going to hear it. And you're going to hear what a terrible, awful person you are from people who've never met you, only judging you because you missed a kick or struck out or missed a shot or dropped a pass or didn't finish, whatever it might be. And it's always easy for people to criticize you. And when you do well, it's easy for people to, to congratulate you. But in the end, and this is a one of the things I do with my clients, I, I, I have a graph just like an archery target, four circles. And in the center circle, I have them write down who are the most important people in your life, who are the people you admire, respect, you care the most about. Put their names down. In the second circle, outside the center, write down the names of the people who are important to you but not the most important people. In the third circle, write down the names of people who are in your life but you don't care one way or the other for them. And in the fourth circle, the last one, put down the names of people who you don't care for, who you don't like. Where's your focus? Should be on the first two circles, the inner circles. Because those are the people that matter the most. Those those are the people who care the most. And those are the people who you have to really discuss things with. The other people, if you spend too much time focusing on them, you're setting yourself up for failure. Like I said, this show today has been about this. What are the qualities of good coaches? And as I said, most importantly for me as a sports psychologist, I think a good coach needs to be a good communicator. But along the lines of that, most importantly, they need to be a good listener. I hope you've enjoyed this show today. I hope you've gotten something from it. If you're a coach, especially if you're an athlete, share it with your teammates, share it with your coaches. Our shows, as I said, are podcasted. Go to my website, winnersunlimited.com. You can find them there. They're all, all the major apps as well. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can reach me at my office, 816 816- Five six one five 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 six. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Love to hear from you. Stay safe. Have a great holiday week this week. And we'll talk to you next week. This is the Sports Psychology Hour 